Hello, hello, and welcome back to the first inaugural episode of The Youth Coach. I am your host, Jonathan LaVorne, and that is right. If you remember correctly, there's no music, no fluff on this podcast. We get right after it. If you checked out our first episode that actually aired a couple of days ago, it was our introduction to what The Youth Coach is all about. If you found your way back to episode two, it's probably because you're looking to take your hockey coaching to the next next level. And today we're going to look at something extremely fundamental to the developing our teams. And that is how we are creating effective and efficient practice plans. Um, So we're going to go through a couple different objectives and then we're going to break them down. There's actually five parts to this podcast. So don't forget, bust out your pen, bust out your notepad, or maybe you just want to use that old whiteboard that's marked up with stains. So let's dive right into it. So start Starting first, we're going to talk about number one, setting practice objectives. And this actually comes from the Rutgers Research Council and a couple things that they've outlined that go into building a successful practice plan are looking at old skills and new skills, our team's conditioning, scrimmages, and modified games. So let's dive a little bit deeper into each one of those categories and see how incorporating them into our practice really works in terms of our systematic progression, which we'll come back to here in a little bit. So old skills versus new skills, the way that I want coaches to look at that that I think is the most beneficial is targeting one skill or a couple skills at the start of the season to really kind of cement and set a foundation for your team. Um, So whether this is a breakout or a specific forward check, if you're running 12Us, 14Us, 16Us, areas like that where you're working on system play, or maybe this is for eight U's or 10 U's where you're developing, you know, initial inside and outside edge skills for skating or fundamental stick handling drills. And then taking a look at maybe over the first couple practices to first couple of months of practices, and then looking at adding new skills on top of that. So kind of following that same metric, If you're looking at breakouts or transition play, now maybe you start adding in regroups that transition into a three-on-two in which those players that started the regroup from a breakout, they are now attacking the offensive zone. So you're using an old skill to help develop new skills, right? Or if you're even looking fundamental and you're doing outside or inside edge work, maybe you're doing that with your 8U kids from a stationary position. And once you've gotten to some level of competence and confidence from those players, you move into now it being one fluid motion, whether it's in their skating stride or you're practicing in stride transitions from forward to backwards. So you're really able to take those old skills and develop new skills. And that does come from that full kind of sequence of development and systematic progression, which does take time. The second one being conditioning. I think this is a little bit interesting because it has changed from when I was a player to when I was a coach. And so I used to hate conditioning when I was a player. I think most players do. If you love conditioning, uh, we might have a couple questions. But I think the best way to look at conditioning 
for myself and for other coaches that I've spoken to personally that are coaching youth hockey, when you have such a limited amount of ice time that you get per week, you need to be focusing the bulk of the practice on those fundamental skills, being able to work on things that are going to translate into your kind of in-game performance. And I know what you're thinking right now is, well, if I don't condition my players, when you get to the third period, aren't they going to be exhausted? They're not going to be performing well because they're not ready to skate. I do contradict this point just a little bit. And the way that I see this is I do believe you can incorporate conditioning into a standard practice routine while still maybe setting aside five to seven minutes at the end of each practice or the beginning, which each one you prefer, to really focus on the conditioning aspect itself, whether that's skating lines or doing relay race type drills. That's what I do believe that five to seven minutes is most effective at. But overall, when you're doing your conditioning, I think that is something that you need to work into your drills. So one way that we do that for our 14U team, for example, is a 2v2 continuous, you know, back check, full ice kind of scenario. And how that works is two players start out going down on a two on O, and then after that once they shoot the puck they have to touch the end glass two new players from that side now go down on a two on O with two players back checking so you do get to incorporate that two on two where they're making passes and you know going for maybe a low pad rebound shot and working on in-game techniques while they're also getting that conditioning aspect of when they have to back check that's a full ice sprint to get back in the play and try to make some defensive play so I think those are a couple of easy things to think about just trying to build maybe a large portion of the conditioning just into the standard practice flow and then also using maybe that five to seven minutes whether it's at the beginning or the end to do some specific skating I know a lot of coaches like 60 second drills I'm not a huge fan of those. Um, I do make players do them just because I think they're great, but obviously we know um, from a player's perspective, they're a lot of fun. So hopping into the next category, um, this is kind of a two-for-one, I think, modified games and scrimmages. So I want to start with modified games because I do think these help develop a player's hockey IQ a lot more than maybe scrimmages and I think that's just sometimes because in these modified games players might be in a more confined space so a tighter area which is going to up your compete level versus doing a a full ice scrimmage where you know there might be a little bit of lazy play or are people goofing off so I prefer scrimmages in our practices to be more controlled so we're doing more of a five-on-five scrimmage in the defensive zone or we're doing it in the neutral zone so we're focusing on one specific aspect of our game versus 
trying to open it up to the full ice and the coach is just kind of standing off to the side and saying hey play your hardest for the next 15 minutes and you know we'll just talk to you while you're on the bench I don't think that's the most effective strategy when it comes to trying to utilize your ice time. So modified games, I think they're fantastic. And a couple good examples of these might be three on three in one zone, setting the nets up, um, maybe on the dots and allowing players to be creative and work within that Uh, tight confined space to work on making plays using escape moves and kind of just developing their creativity and their hockey IQ Um, we've seen this be super effective as like a quick five minute start to practice just to get the legs flowing get the intensity up and kind of set that tempo for the rest of practice Um, Also, another big one that I really like at the 14U level um, and the 16U level is doing one-on-one below the goal line battle drills because, again, this really tightens the area in which the players are allowed to play and you're getting to work on body contact, puck protection, skating through a hit. Uh, It also allows players that might not play that physical style, whether they're scared or a little timid, uh, to kind of develop that grit and be forced in an essence to learn to not be afraid of body contact Uh, for the younger age groups that might be listening 8u 10u one of the go-to ones when i was doing learn to play was actually ringette and that was using those um, for us they were blue little rings that you would turn your stick over and use the knob of your stick on the middle whether it was to make a pass or just stick handle with i think this is great for working on offensive and defensive body positioning um, Because at the 8U, 10U, and 12U levels, you can't do any contact, playing with the actual ringette and having to use your stick and just your overall body posture to protect the ring or to create a scoring play i think this is great in developing kind of your initial hockey posture so those are kind of some good modified games that lead into doing those full zone kind of controlled scrimmages that i mentioned whether it's working on your defensive zone coverage while you're having kind of that five on five zone pressure or maybe it's neutral zone transitions that you're working in strictly just in between the blue lines i think those modified games translate very well to doing controlled scrimmages so after we've kind of set those practice uh, objectives on our own as coaches as to how we're going to execute the next biggest thing we have to kind of shift to is how are we developing our standards with our players in terms of how we want them to execute and the tempo at which we want them to perform So actually, I found a real interesting article from the Physical Health Education America, and it's actually from 2018. It features a USA basketball coach, Coach Don Showalter, and one of the topics I really loved them talking about in this article was defining a standard of performance and having clear communication with your team on what that means. And so... How they define a standard is it's a measurable objective that pushes athletes to rise to a higher level of performance. 
again, they're defining it as a measurable objective that pushes athletes to rise to a higher level of performance. And the first thing I think of when I hear that quote from this article is that when you get into a game scenario and you're playing for that championship or you're playing that first game of the season, a lot of people say, oh, I I know my team is going to rise to the occasion. Well, the flip side of that and what most people actually know to be true is that your team is not going to necessarily rise to the occasion as much as they are going to default to the highest level of performance that they're accustomed to. And so if we are continually trying to raise the bar in terms of our standard of performance in practice, we're not only elevating the effectiveness of our practices in terms of the development that we're seeing in our players, but we're also preparing them to play at a higher level when they get into those in-game scenarios. And so I actually want to play a quick little example from this article or speak it rather and that's where um so from the article it says coach show walter establishes a mindset focused on going beyond what feels comfortable and challenging yourself to get better in other words going beyond your comfort zone to develop this mindset as a standard of performance, Coach Showalter uses a pre-practice meeting. If you were here for our first episode, I did talk about utilizing pre-practice chalk talks to go over practice, and he uses a pre-practice meeting to introduce this standard. For example, he would state, go beyond your comfort zone, nothing ever grows there. And then he then asks each athlete to write down the statement and describe what it means to them. I think that's extremely effective in terms of setting that mindset with your players and being clear on the objectives that you are expecting them to accomplish. And so, for example, I think where this comes into play in practice is if you set a certain standard for how you want players to break the puck out, you might spend 10, 15 minutes doing different puck retrievals for a breakout. And once players demonstrate that competence for the skill in making a choice to either play the puck to the wall or to the center based on the time that they have from getting the puck to make that play, now you can elevate that standard and you can add an attacking four check or four checkers and allow your defensemen to make the read whether they want to go to the middle, whether they want to go D to D, or whether they want to go up the wall based on the attacking forecheck. Or for our younger group, again, if you're doing outside or inside edge work from a stationary position um, to kind of develop that confidence in trusting your edge, Once players show you that, now it might be time to transition that drill into you know, a full speed skating drill where they're now using it in a full motion versus being stationary. And it all goes from number one, setting that initial standard of performance 
And then once that level of competence has been achieved, being able to shift it and elevate it to drive, you know, a better performance for your players. So now that we have kind of a clear understanding of the practice plan itself and making that clear communication with our players, now it's time to execute our practice plan. So I want to go over a couple different things from two different sections just to kind of talk about what a practice really should encompass to make sure that we're being the most efficient. Number one is clear and concise instruction during the time period when you're explaining drills to maximize the time players spend participating in the actual drill itself. One of the biggest things I've seen with new coaches and sometimes even experienced coaches is they spend a lot of time trying to go over specifics of the drill or what ifs that might happen in a game if a player asks a question and they end up chewing five or six minutes per time that they're going over different drills and if they go over four drills that's 20 minutes of their practice ice that's spent with the kids down on one knee going over a drill versus getting an extra five or six reps maybe in each drill so try to explain the drill as best as possible being concise, giving the instruction necessary to perform the drill, and then allowing your players to actually get out there and execute the drill and use the time in between player A, you know, going in the drill and player B to talk with player A or player B about different things you see when they're going through the drill. I think that's a more efficient use of your time. It allows players to get more reps and it allows you to do coaching kind of individually tailored for each player during that same set of time versus wasting 10 or 12 minutes going over the drill and any and whatever if then statement that could be possible. And so I want to go over also, this is just kind of an 8U breakdown that USA Hockey provided just to kind of show you guys what should be encompassed in kind of the time span that you have. And this is based on a 50 minute session of ice where they've kind of blocked out 10 minutes that might go towards any instructional time that's used. And it does say the sticks, the six station format should include the following breakdown. One station of ABCs, one station of hockey components. And by the way, ABCs is defined as a Agility, balance, and coordination on the ice surface as being a foundation for mite hockey. Um, one station of competitive hockey, 1v1s, 2v2s, 3v3, again to work on that hockey sense and that hockey IQ. One station is on puck control. One station is for passing and shooting skills. And then two stations are devoted to specifically skating skills. So one of these six stations and two to three at least should be in-game formats. And I think that translates really well to going back to Don Showalter and that article from 2018. They actually break it up by age group as far as 
what practices should look like in forms from training to competition ratio. And I want to break this down for you because I do believe it's extremely important. So the age levels are as followed. Introductory is age levels three to nine. And the description is it's important for them to learn the fundamental movement skills and build overall motor skills. And the training to competition ratio should be 100% to zero. So really focusing on skating, stick handling, shooting, doing those fundamental motory skills to learn and be the best in terms of just your overall technical skills before moving to trying to apply it to in-game scenarios. So then we move to level two, which is foundational, and this is age levels eight to 13, and this is learning all fundamental and basic hockey-specific skills and establishing building blocks for overall hockey skills. Now, this article is talking primarily about basketball, so I am swapping basketball for hockey, but this is as a similar outline that's provided in your USA Hockey training manuals as well. And for this age group, the training to competition ratio is 70% to 30%. So here we're looking at mites and peewees and squirts. And again, looking at skating in motion, stick handling in motion, passing while you're skating, those essential building blocks for making in-game hockey-specific skill plays. Now we move to advanced, which is age groups 12 to 17, and that's building the aerobic base, building strength towards the end of the level, and further development of our our hockey base skills, with training being 40% and competition being 60%. This is where I think using a lot of those modified games in your practice plan to develop hockey base sense and to develop your overall aerobic or conditioning for playing the game of hockey, doing things that are maybe centralized on a 30 to 45 second shift and then getting off the ice. So I think battle drills, flow drills, doing zone specific drills in a competition format suit really well for your overall practice. Um, And the last age group is performance, which is age level 15 to 18 plus. And the goal here is to maximize fitness and competition preparation, as well as individual and position specific skills. For all of my coaches that might be we'll say 8U to 16U, notice how it's not until the 15 to 18 plus range where it says individual and position specific skills. If you're coaching 8 to 14U, you should not be isolating players in one specific role because someone that could be a left winger might end up being a better defenseman based on their their skating skill or the way that they read the rush. So allowing them to play different positions and not lock them into one skill set is extremely beneficial to the overall development of the player as well as their hockey IQ. 
I can definitely attest to this because for the first about eight, 10 years that I played hockey, I was a forward. I loved it. I wanted to score goals. I wanted to be up in the rush. And then after I got to about the 12, 12 to 14 age range, I really started gravitating towards defense. I loved being on the back end, having that quarterback feel, being able to make plays going up the ice, hop in the rush, and then also be defensively responsible. Now, I did play a little bit more of an offensive defenseman style, so I got to do a lot of both. But if I would have had a coach at 12 years old tell me, no, you're only going to play left wing, Maybe I don't go as far as I did with hockey and make it, you know, all the way to playing college and having the opportunity to play um, semi-pro, at least on a tryout agreement, because maybe I wouldn't have developed my hockey sense at the rate and to the level that I did moving from forward to defense if I would have stayed just playing forward. And um, And also... The training to competition ratio being 25% to 75%, this is where you're not going to see a lot of spending time doing stationary passing drills or, you know, just maybe some fundamental skating drills for 30 minutes of your practice. You might hit it quick for five, six minutes as a warm-up drill, whether you're teaching players to catch pucks in their skate while they're moving or doing just some you know, power skating to hone in on some of those old skills What before you develop some new ones. But a lot of your hockey-specific fundamental skills are really going to be fine-tuned and elevated when you're competing in those small area games or doing full ice flow drills that might be a breakout to a regroup to a three on two back in the zone so you should really be building a lot of your practice plans around how are we going to compete in games and how can I translate that to a practice setting and vice versa and by being able to do that that's how you're going to create the most effective practice plan so The second part of being clear and concise and executing your practice plan is being cognitively engaging with kind of your drill selection. So don't use the same 10 drills for a full season in practice because after about your sixth time doing that, players are going to probably check out because they don't feel like they're learning anything. They're just going through the motion. You want to be using drills that are constantly having your players thinking about why they're making the choices they're making. Uh, For example, the 14U drill that we like to do to start the year to kind of set some fundamentals for how we like to give options in the offensive zone is a one-on-one drill that's a little more complex and how it starts is the forward makes a pass out to the point attacks the net the defenseman takes a shot so now you're practicing on low to high and you're practicing on shooting for sticks for a tip so we have two objectives number three after that shot's been made the forward's going to roll out around the opposite circle. They're going to catch a cross-ice pass. At the same time, the defenseman's going to be making a gap to force that player to go to the wall. And hopefully by the red line and at the latest, 
the defenseman's D-zone blue line, they're going to be forcing a play on the forward to take the puck away. And so now you've taken a drill, instead of it just being the forward skating straight up the ice and the D-man gapping to the middle and trying to force him to make a play, now you're showing them a full transgression of offensive play. So the puck coming out to the point, you attacking the net, the D taking a shot. Now you're the forward on the breakout catching a pass and you're moving up ice with that defenseman who now has to take a proper gap against you, accept the rush and make a play. So that drill, when we first start running it each year, I love this drill because players tend to have a lot of questions after the drill is started they'll pull us aside during the drill and say you know hey coach when I'm coming up the wall like this against the defenseman how do I get myself more time and space how do I create this play that I want and from there we get to elevate that standard of performance and say okay maybe you have a tight gap against this defenseman he's playing you really well you don't have any time and space maybe you fake a little cut to the middle you play the puck off the wall you go around him and you pick it up or you know hey when we start doing full five on five we say hey maybe you get to the blue line just like you do in that one-on-one drill and you have no time and space maybe you can dump it to the far corner and your weak side wing can go get it so again it's developing in a foundation but it's being cognitively engaging with our players to the point where they're having to think the whole time they're in the drill they're not just able to kind of go through the motions and get by they're having to place themselves in a decision making position and elevate their game that way when they see that same situation develop in a game they're not like oh man, what do I do? I've never been here before. They know they have options and they're able to select the best one based on their read of the play. And that's the best we can do as coaches is allow them to have one, two, three, five different options when it comes to making a play and then trusting them that we've done a good job educating them that they're going to make the best read and mistakes are going to happen in the game but the more cognitively engaging we make those practices and we challenge our players to read different plays they're going to overall make better plays in a game situation and lastly when it comes to developing our practice plans systematic progression understanding that at coaches we cannot cannot throw out these complex overly drawn out drills and expect our players to get them right away and we also can't move to an advanced skill when we haven't covered the basics and expect our players to execute it properly. I'm going to go back to that example of doing a breakout drill. You can expect players to execute a successful breakout if you've, one, never gone over a breakout with the team, or two, you immediately start doing it with high-end forward forward-checking pressure where your defensemen or your forwards are going to feel rushed or scared to make a decision. 
So building on it and starting with maybe it's a five on O breakout. You dump it in. There's a D to Z pass. The D goes up to the wall. The wall kicks it to the center. There's the breakout. And then you do a couple other rotations where maybe the defenseman hits the center or the forward on the wall goes to the far winger or they do a soft chip to the neutral zone. Now that you've established that foundation of the breakout, now maybe you toss in one or two four checkers, or now you toss in three, or it's a five on five. Now that your player feels confident in making a decision and their options that they have, you can take it to the next level. You can systematically progress. And then when you see that success maybe come in that that two four checkers, five breakouts, then maybe you take it to those five players that break out, those three forwards regroup with another set of D, and then they attack back three on two. Now you're working on kind of, again, that full progression up the ice from breakout to how to respond quickly in the neutral zone to how are we being creative in managing our offensive scoring opportunities. So, and I'll break down systematic progressions for 8U, 10U, 12U, 16U, you know, 18 plus in different podcasts. This is more of a general overview of saying that we need to be systematically progressing our players. So when you look at your practice plan from the first practice of the year to the last practice, it should be starting with basic skills over the course of the season, right? So your first practice might be skating, your third practice might be stick handling, and then over the course of practice 10, practice 11, now you're getting into a little bit more of advanced skills. And then as you get later into the season, you're tying it all together in your you know, expert level, even though no one's ever really an expert, you always have room to grow. Um, you kind of understand the metric that I'm using. Now, lastly, to be able to systematically progress and be effective and be efficient with our practices, the last biggest thing that I think a lot of coaches fall off on is evaluation. Looking back at our practice, what did our players do well? What did we not do well? Did we try to have our players step out of their comfort zone too soon? Do we need to go back and look at some basics? Or, hey, we picked up that skill really quickly and we were executing very well. We can go ahead and move this to you know, a more complex drill or a secondary variation of the drill. And I think evaluating on previous practices as well as things that translate and don't translate to the game, that is only going to take your practices to the next level. I think one thing this year specifically that our team has really struggled with, and I've harped on it a lot on the podcast already, is breakouts. Our kids get very nervous when they have the puck in the D zone. And I know it's because they don't want to make a mistake and they don't want to get scored on, but we have to develop that trust and we're pretty late in the season. Everything else, as far as our neutral zone, our offensive zone, we do very well. So one of the things that the other coach and I sat back on this week for practice was we really need to do a lot of breakout variations and for checking on the breakout type drills 
to elevate that area of our game. And that doesn't come to us from just saying, hey, let's work on breakouts this practice because that takes up our hour ice slot. That's evaluating, hey, previous practice where we focus on this, it's been terrible. And when we look at our games, where do we struggle the most? Getting the puck out of the zone. How can we design an effective and an efficient practice where this might be a bulk of our workload for our 60-minute or hour-and-a-half session that we have so that we can get better at this? So I challenge you as coaches, spend 5, 10, 15 minutes, however long it takes you to go back through your practices. Maybe you jot down notes while you're watching each one of the drills as to where are we lacking. If you tried to take a step to a more advanced variation and you notice that players are struggling with the fundamentals, maybe you write that down as, hey, we need to go back and we need to solidify these fundamentals and then maybe try this drill again. There's nothing wrong with going back to the basics. Making hockey, I had a coach that used to tell me simple, stupid hockey is great hockey. So taking hockey back to the fundamental of each drill during your evaluation, I do think will make your practices more effective and more efficient. So just a quick brief recap kind of things that we've talked about during this podcast is how are we going to have an effective and efficient practices? Well, number one, we're going to set practice objectives. We're going to look at old skills, new skills, conditioning scrimmages, modified games, different areas that we can incorporate into our practices um, from the first practice to the end of the year. Number two, we're going to be developing our standards. We're going to define a set standard of performance with our players. And we're going to be clear on our communication as to what we expect from them. That way our players are never rising to the occasion, but they're defaulting to that higher level of performance that we've set. Number three, we're going to execute our practice plans. We're going to be clear and concise with our instruction with our players. They're going to be cognitively engaging. And we're going to be taking a look at those drills to make sure that our players are being as involved as as possible and they're not just standing around watching for majority of the practice. Number four, we're going to be systematically progressing throughout the year. We're not going to be repeating the same 10 drills in hopes that our team is going to play at an NHL caliber when we haven't been challenging them outside of our comfort zone. So we're going to start with the basics. We're going to move to advanced and then maybe we're going to move to a more complex variation at the end of the year. Lastly, we are going to evaluate our practices, maybe one of the more crucial steps for us as coaches so that we're continuing to gain insight as to how are our players progressing? Are there skills that we need to take a second look at? And what does developing a next practice look like based on our current understanding of where our team is at both in practice and in game. So I do hope you guys have learned something from this podcast. If you have any questions or other topics you'd love for me to go more in depth with, head on over to the Youth Coach Pod on Instagram. My DMs are always open. Feel free to send me a message, a question, or anything that you would like to talk about. I would love to be able to bring that to the next podcast. Lastly, don't wait to take five minutes to share this podcast with a friend, a fellow coach, maybe a youth player 
um, that you have in mind that you really want to see them take their coaching or their playing game to the next level, or maybe a parent who just wants to be more educated about the game and what kind of goes into the coaching side. So please share the podcast with people that you think might get some value from it. And don't forget to review the podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts now as well as Spotify. So take a quick second, leave some feedback. I know we're really new in the journey. So any positive or constructive feedback so that we can make this positive, uh, this podcast the most informative uh, it can be for fellow coaches. I'd really love to hear it. And don't forget Lastly, I know I told you three things to don't forget. So now I know number one is I need to be less repetitive. Duh, come on. Be back next week on Thursday for episode two of The Youth Coach. It will drop every Thursday morning scheduled for 8 a.m. So you can toss it on on your Thursday drive to work. Or if you have a late night Thursday practice like we do here, um, you can toss it on on your drive to the rink. And don't worry it'll be informative and effective. So again, we're looking to take your coaching to the next level. And I think the Youth Coach Podcast is going to be a great way to do it. So I appreciate your time. This has been Jonathan LaVorne, and we will see you here next week on the Youth Coach. Have a great week and enjoy your practices.